Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I want to say a quick thank you to GPS Radar for making this episode possible. GPS Radar is the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest Fashion Your Seatbelt podcast. And now that I have your attention, might I suggest hitting the subscribe button on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast so that you never miss a new episode in the future. Oh, and it would be fabulous if you could also tell a friend about the podcast. I think word of mouth is such a chic way to discover new and amazing things. Speaking of amazing, let me tell you about the white-hot Spanish designer Alejandro Gomez Palomo. You have probably already heard about his brand Palomo Spain, which he launched in 2015, basically because of Beyonce. She famously wore one of his floral menswear pieces for her first official photo with her newborn twins, Rumi and Sir. Palomo calls himself a menswear designer. That is, after all, what he studied during his time at London College of Fashion. And yet, his theatrical outfits could easily cross gender lines. His clothing is not so much focused on a person's sex, but rather their level of sartorial daring. There is a boldness to his designs and a joyful abandonment to his well-constructed clothing. His imagination is overflowing with ideas, but also there is a meticulousness and attention to detail to his work. Think John Galliano, Alexander McQueen, or Jean-Paul Gaultier. In fact, being a fashion designer was always what Paloma wanted to do. Growing up in the small town of Cordoba in the south of Spain, he admitted that by the age of six, he was already a big fan of dressing up Barbies. He religiously watched fashion shows on television, and he was sketching incessantly. And then one day, his father made the very smart suggestion that he study to become a fashion designer. I had the pleasure of speaking with Alejandro right after his spring-summer 2019 show at Madrid Fashion Week, where part of the invitation to his show was a drop of his own blood on a specimen slide, and the collection itself was presented inside the Museum of Natural Sciences, surrounded by taxidermy stuffed animals and an array of curiosity cabinet pieces that, just like the essence of the Palomo brand, brings together very different ideas to create something wholly original. Alejandro, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank really appreciate it. Thank you to take the time as well. <laughs> um, so let's go back to the beginning. Can you talk about um, your first connection to fashion and when you... Yeah, your first connection well, to fashion. Well, I think it came really early in my, in my life. I've always kind of felt attached to, to fashion. Um, when I was a kid, um, I was playing with my neighbors upstairs. Her mom was uh, sewing all the time. She's probably doing um, disguises for carnival. And then I played with Barbie uh, with the girls. So that was probably the first approach to fashion because we, we were constantly sketching. And then 
Um, she will help us making the dresses. You'd actually the make the dresses yeah, for the Barbie yeah, dolls. Yeah. And so did my grandma. You know, I was. It was all I was doing. But then, it was it was a thing about sketching as well. I, I guess um, the fashion design thing I discovered because I was sketching like kind of princesses and stuff. But then it turned into a more real thing. And then someday my my parents says, "Then you should be a fashion designer." But then I would be like around four or five or something. Wait, your parents when you were four or five yeah. said you should be a fashion designer? Yeah, because I didn't know there was a job or anything, but I was I constantly sketches and I felt so attracted by anything that uh, had a textile or a fashion or anything. Mm-hmm. And also um, in church, you know, I was I was so um, attached to the church, but not not because any sort of religious um, belief. You know, of course, I was brought up in a Catholic kind of environment, mm-hmm. but. Uh, um, I've never paid too much attention to that, but it was the only place in my village where you could see all these rich, incredible embroideries with gold thread and all that, you know, the, the velvet kind of kaftans that you put on Jesus Christ, all embroidered, mm-hmm. and then, you know, all the work, all, all the kind of Baroque kind of drama mm-hmm. presentation that we do in, in, in church in the south of Spain. So I guess that was, um, those were the kind of things that really caught my eyes when I was a kid also. Um, flamenco dancing and all the flamenco dresses and all that. Mm-hmm. So you're four years old and your parents are saying be a fashion designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you, did you like? All right. So what do I have to do? With no, I, this, I, grew, I grew up. I grew up being that and and doing whatever and just drawing and playing mm-hmm. with Barbie and my fabrics and mm-hmm. things like that. Then probably around eleven um, or ten or something, I saw um, the last Saint Laurent show. I was at that show. Uh, were you? Really? Yeah, I was there at the wow. last show. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. It was an amazing event. Well, I remember. I've got this image in my mind where, where when the, when the, the like kind of the African collection comes from the floor, it does like that, and they're like in group with feathers and things. And I've got that image in my head from uh, probably one of my earliest memories. I don't know. And I remember watching it on TV, and I remember asking my dad, like, what is this, you know? Mm-hmm. And then explaining a little bit what he knew about Saint Laurent. And, and he told me he had bought a watch from a man from Saint Laurent. And then from there, mm-hmm. it all started with the with the real fashion, with the designer. So okay. it started with Saint Laurent. And then I would see Galliano. Uh, he was really the one that opened my my eyes and, and I was so fascinated and also Gianni Versace I knew everything about Gianni Versace before um, they put it on Netflix now <laughs> you know when I was a kid like a 10 year old boy I knew who was this killer how he did mm-hmm. you know who's running the brand now blah 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 mm-hmm. and and at school, I had all my notebooks with the, like Versace campaigns. Oh, my God. The, uh, oh, my God. So, you like, like you had your walls plastered with, like, images of Versace yeah, and Galliano yeah, yeah, as opposed yeah, to, like... And all that. Yeah, and I, I, and I would read every magazine, like, fashion magazines. But no, I was like, we do now, like, bam, bam. Yeah. Quickly. When I was a kid, like, I would Pour over like, read everything I knew. The name of every single model I knew, the name of every designer. We mm-hmm. used to play a game with my with my uh, crossings where we were watching Vogue and then you have the images of the, of the looks of the collections and then they'll cover the, the name cover the name of the designer and I had to say like this is that that that, that. oh my god oh my <laughs> yeah. god you were you were seriously hardcore yeah 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 I loved it from the beginning I really so did. but okay so you name checked uh, Galliano and Versace what it, was it about those two designers that like really because there were a lot you know there was the Martin Margiela's and the Helmut Langs there was a lot yeah. of other what was it about those two that really well, spoke I, to you I, I think I was too young to understand Margiela and Helmut Lang mm. and all 
that and and this was really like what fashion meant for me at mm-hmm. that point that you know the grandeur of mm-hmm. it the glamour of it mm-hmm. you know and and la Croix and yeah. chanel and oh, all of that yeah um a thing as a kid and, and with the references that i had from what i'm telling you church yeah. from yeah, yeah. all these kind of um grand moments of of, of fashion and, mm-hmm. and fabrics and all that Um, I could relate really well with you know Versace and the glamorous woman and yeah. the hair and the colors and all that and the then, whole pr- the whole you know yeah, prestige and the whole yeah, pomp yeah, and circumstance yeah. and, and of it name all and like yeah. uh, 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 it's so fashion is something so fur, fur for me you know and so behind so beyond I don't know it's something a world that I would never really be that close I saw like Versace and everyone has that yeah but you're bosses. but you're on your way I mean um I'm so impressed to hear that your family is so is so supportive from such a young age. Yeah. Like I was at the the show Madrid Fashion Week yesterday, and I saw them boxing up your samples from the showroom. Yeah. I mean, they're supporting you like financially and emotionally, and from totally. the beginning, how how has that helped you as a designer? Because that's not always the case. Well, they've they've always been so supportive. You know, I never had a problem with them being um, homosexual or you know being so interested in a work that no one really knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so uncertain but then I said you know I want to move to London I want to do fashion and all that and mm-hmm. they were like okay if you, if you work you know they, I don't come from a very rich family or and anything. from a really small little town and yeah. from a small town and, and, and uh, you know I said I want to go to London and study in there because I think it's where you know you mm-hmm. get better studies for fashion and all that because I really want to be a designer yeah Well, you never think you're gonna get there, but anyways, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, you go, you know, you, we, we can help you go there, you know, we help you stay there for a month and a half, but then you need to look for a job and do your things, and then if you want to be in London, you have to, you know, make take, your way. Yeah, look after yourself. So I left when I was 18 and, and got a job two days after I got there, and, and then I stayed for five years, mm-hmm. and you know, I got to London College of Fashion. I started, and I, you know, I grew from a teenager to an adult, you mm-hmm. know. So wait, did you when you moved to London? Did you have already have access, or you were you were a student at London College of Fashion? No. You moved there and started working, yeah. and then applied to London College yeah. of Fashion. When I was 18, uh, I came from art school, but it's, it was probably the mo- the moment where I was most disconnected with fashion. Huh. Um, weirdly, because I, I've grown and then I did all my art studies, and and I just felt it was such a a, a word that was so far from me, you know, mm-hmm. and then I got to London and I thought everything was going to be so complicated, you mm-hmm. know, and um, I could see the people that were already there and me that I had to work in a bar, you yeah. know, uh, being absolutely no, nobody. Yeah. So, uh, so then when you got to the London College of Fashion, what did that give you? Well, I went to London College of Communication oh, first. communication, okay. First to do a foundation year mm-hmm. before going to London College of Fashion and then it was in that foundation year where I started being so crazy because, you know, I was 18 in yeah. London. Uh, yeah, by myself, living the life, yeah. Living the life, you know, foundation course, whatever. Uh, <laughs> then the last time I realized what a... You know, I had to do that, and it's where I found that I felt um, that doing clothes for men was so much easier. So I applied for so much easier for me, of yeah. course, because I, I feel more connected. So then I applied for menswear design. Because yeah, you thought it was an easier in to go through menswear than womenswear, maybe it wouldn't be as a difficult to get into to the school if you were going in as a menswear designer. Well, I, I well I don't know. I don't know. The thing is, like I, I'm telling you, those years I didn't feel so connected to uh. fashion. There was, a, there was something that I was missing, mm-hmm. and then when I started designing for men, I found out that that was what I that was, was missing. missing. Okay, you know, that, that I, I see could, it. 
understand men so much better because uh, you know I, I had my own relationship with fashion and yeah. then I had my friends around me who enjoyed fashion as well yeah. and and you know my passion are men as well you know yeah. so um, I think we come from a different generation of designers you know probably if I lived in the 50s I would have the woman so idealized so like yeah. Saint Laurent and all of them and yeah. that's what I help you design but now that I, I grew with the woman having all the choices but it was us stealing from the woman's closet <laughs> and all that um, I felt the fun was in the menswear you know and I felt so connected there so but it's really interesting what you're doing with menswear is you're doing a menswear that is really we'll talk about this later gender bending to a certain extent because you're of course getting a lot of women who uh-huh. love what you do kind of like with women wearing salon you know kind of the smoking and the yeah, mixing of gender yeah. and certain but right now in menswear it's like streetwear craziness how are you do you think that's helping you and that you're standing out do you think that that's um, how do you feel or like I was talking with Tim Blanks and he was talking saying that we're feeling that pendulums moving starting to move back away from uh, streetwear and into more couture kind of stuff where do you what do you feel about all that this current state of fashion well I, I agree with you with um, um, the street style kind of moment that we live in now but I also think we come from from a time where fashion couldn't shine so bright because we were in a crisis in Europe and all that you know and it's that time and a lot of companies realized about that anyway the, the general mood was a bit sad so fashion got a bit quieter as well but now we're in a moment of growing again you know and, and menswear is is becoming really really interesting I know there's a lot of street style but then I, I do the completely opposite thing and then, then I give another option which I guess is good for me you know because um, everyone needs the thing that they, they feel best with. Um, so a lot of people doing street style, I wouldn't be uh, that person because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that do it better than me, you know. And but seriously, when, when people wear your clothes on the street, they get probably more noticed than street style. Your, your stuff is totally. really made to be eye-catching. You're totally. none of, nothing of yours is to blend in or be part of a crowd. That's really, and that's totally. intentional. Well... I guess it's, it's the way I approach fashion, you know, but since since I've never been able to be a, a fashion customer, as in like, you know, a high fashion luxury yeah. customer, um, whenever I started in London buying into my fashions, you know, because I was working in this place in, at Liberties in, in the vintage department and I could start buying, you know, my first Saint Laurent jacket from mm-hmm. the 70s, um, my first Lacroix little uh, or brooch yeah. or something, you know, first mm-hmm. Dior jacket, whatever. Um, I wanted those pieces to mean so much to me and then I could have some forever and, and they were not just like a, a plain white yes, shirt yeah. from Margiela or yeah. something I wanted my piece to to be something you know to be a designer mm-hmm. piece and, yeah. and recognizably a and designer recogni- place exactly I'm not necessarily recognizably as in I don't want people to see that this is a Saint Laurent or yeah. whatever no 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 I mean yeah I want people to see that I'm wearing something that's very interesting and, and there's been someone behind it thinking yeah. about it and there's a process behind it. You can well, I was the same way at your pop-up store the other day that one of the handlebags, I wanted to buy one because yeah. I was at that show, my first Palomo show. I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, I want to have the that Palomo. bag. It's yeah, so yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so I get where you're coming from. Um, going back to your school days, I was really surprised to learn that instead of like training going to another going and training under a, a different designer you were like no I'm gonna I'm not gonna make my mistakes in another house I'm uh-huh. gonna start my own brand pretty much right away you graduated in yeah. 2015 and yeah. by 2017 you're showing in New York right your first yeah. show yeah. yeah 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 so why did you go I'm gonna start Palomo Spain instead of 
make my mistakes and learn? Because you were still relatively yeah. young. Yeah. So what made you go, I, this is what totally. I'm doing? Totally. We're still making a lot of mistakes. But we're learning on the time. Um, well, it started out of a matter of chance, I think. Um, I was living in London. I did my graduate collection. Uh, the graduate collection looked pretty beautiful for the moment. You know, uh, we did all this, like, Calls with embroideries. I came back to Spain and I started working with the with embroiderers in here and the silk fringing and all that. So I did a collection that was very London, very like the boy, the white boy, already a little bit feminine. Mm-hmm. Now I started using lace and mm-hmm. fringing and embroideries and mm-hmm. stuff like that. No? And and it was a six look collection that ended up being really really cute and really beautiful. Um, so I got some press in London, like Wonderland magazine, Days and Confused. They mm-hmm. were like pulling some pieces for some editorial. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stylists around the school were pulling. I was like, well, you know, this is something uh, happening. You know, people actually really like what a, what what the collection looked like. Mm-hmm. So I get this offer from an online store that sold art and and started uh, selling fashion as well to produce this the collection like certain pieces so we can start selling blah 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 oh wow um, so I come back from to my village um, on holidays I leave London for a while I don't know what I'm gonna do I, I'm like I'm in the village I'm gonna figure out I did some interviews for Sarah I did interviews for Intex yeah uh, be my Lola you know things that I really didn't feel had to do but my parents were like well we need to get a job now yeah um, so while I was in Spain my dad gave me a little office next to his um, so I could set up a little studio to, to be able to reproduce those coats that, that I had presented that now we wanted to sell. Mm-hmm. So I started working in that little studio, saw those coats, got a machine, got a table. Um, and then we did that. That wasn't successful, of course, because it's too young. We sold yeah. a few clothes and that's it, but we, we didn't produce much anyways. Um, but then we were okay. Let's do. Let, I was like, Dad, can you let me do a collection? I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I met Maria Luisa, who is uh, who's the, the head seamstress of my studio, and, and me and her got along really well. I had a bunch of sketches in my in, in my studio on the walls, and then I was like, Who the fuck is gonna do that? Call her in. So she looks in the wall, and I'm like, I'm able to do all of that that you're drawing in there. I'm like, Okay, let's start. Wow. So we did the first collection, just me and her, I, uh, in the process, a few friends in Madrid, they were helping me to find a space, yeah. something, because I, I was calling and everyone, everyone was like, who are you, you know, yeah. you know like, even even my press agency, Bologna, like, I remember calling them and calling them and calling them, <laughs> like, harassing leave them. me alone, like, they, they didn't want to hear about my... And ears, now look like, where you are, yeah. You know, and, and then a few days after the show, they found me in a club and I'm like, you have to come with us, I'm like... No, bitch, yeah, you already tried it now, you, yeah, feel, yeah. you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Good but on then, you. But then uh, a few months after, and, uh, I was seeing that I actually needed their help, mm-hmm. you know. They were close. I was sending clothes from home, like here and there. and You didn't have a strategy, it was just kind of hit yeah, and miss. Yeah, exactly. Well, talking about strategy then, can you please break down the strategy or how it came about, the famous pivotal moment, which you will always be have reference to in every article about you, which is the outfit that um, Beyonce, Beyonce wore. wore when she presented her two twins to the world like how did that happen and I first how did that happen then I'll ask a secondary question well let me start with the outfit because there's, there's a really beautiful story behind it mm-hmm. um, this was my second collection after this one we presented in Madrid mm-hmm. that suddenly created something really magical and, and a change you know because we had it was the festival that showed outside fashion week yeah. we did it in a, in a very luxury house and then the, we were only showing on boys and these boys were looking like that and then yeah. we had 
a few important press uh, from Spain and international like that and blah 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 some French and then all of a sudden everyone was talking about it so we had to do the second collection I'm still in Cordoba mm-hmm. and and then at the end of the first collection I meet this uh, lady that works in a, that owns this um, fabric shop in Cordoba really really old mm-hmm. and they're closing because it's a couture fabric shop you know very very ex- expensive very kind of delicate and, and and they were closing down. So I started going in there, started getting along with the lady, so I started getting access to all the archive. Mm-hmm. And there's the, these fabrics from the 40s, 50s, 60s, oh everything that you could imagine, moire, um, all kind of printed silks and all that. And there's this flower, um, purpley flower um, silk chiffon mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh my God, I, I, I love that. But I'm with Pedro, my, my PR at the moment. He's like, you never buy that that's horrible that looks from like a, a lady at home that, that's so like a housewife yep that's so horrible don't buy it and I'm like you know what like, I've got something for this fabric I think we could do something really nice I call it really nice but okay like if you want to buy it buy it but so we bought the fabric we had the roll in there and, and I remember one day we started doing the gown cutting the whole thing it's still me and Maria Luisa and, and I remember trying it myself and walking it on the corridor with the gun like that, doing a video to Pedro. It's like, do you still think that this is, uh, you know, old fashioned? Old fashioned, yeah, look at me go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then we did it, we put it on the show in this black boy and everyone is like, this is your best exit, this is incredible, blah, blah, blah. Then Beyonce asked for some pieces. Um, for a video or something. How did do you know how she discovered you? Or um, was it through her stylist? She has the clothes. We sent her whatever. It's like well, yeah. this is never happening because we already uh, started getting used to these kind of pulls. You know, yeah. at the beginning we're like, oh my god, they want clothes, but then you realize that that's that they, they pull doesn't clothes, mean it. Yeah, the the clothes return, and a few weeks after we want to place a, a personal order. Mm-hmm. So you get the samples, you send get, it to I her, get them, I get them they back. come back, and they say, now Beyonce wants to create a personal order. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, really? Okay, then one day, so like, okay, yes, same price, whatever, then one day, we'll receive the, the measurements, and I'm kind of like, oh my God, we've got Beyonce measurements, like, you <laughs> <laughs> the wreath, everything. But I still, like, in my, in my village, with, like, the old lady doing the parties and writing, like, Beyonce <laughs> on the part of that's actually like handwriting. Like, how do you write Beyonce? <laughs> <laughs> and then we had the clothes in there. One day they pay, we ship it. The day we ship it, like a few days after, we realized that she had got pregnant. And yeah. we're gonna feel like whatever, okay, she paid, you know, for this moment. Um, I can afford to do another collection. So we sent her, we never thought it was gonna happen. One day in the summer, I get this message like a WhatsApp, seven o'clock in the morning, and then this is like, um, is this Paloma Spain? My cousin, is this Paloma Spain? And like a photo. Your um, cousin told, gave you yeah, the word? Like, yeah, like 7.30 in the morning. And I could read, is this Paloma Spain? And like a, And then you open it up? Uh, and I open it and there was a photo. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> okay. All right, so okay. that moment opens, you know, the best wake-up call you've ever gotten. Uh, there was, yeah. like, way to go, you know, getting the Oscar or something. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll come downstairs to the studio. I showed you all my, like, seamstress, like, oh, my God. And they're like, what, 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 what? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Look! <laughs> and so... How did your life change after that? That is not, it's not just Beyonce wearing your clothing. Beyonce's wearing your clothing in one of the most pivotal photos in her in, life. Yeah. So how, 
talk about your life after that. Like, what happened? How did that change everything for you? Well, well, suddenly everyone knew about me, and also suddenly everyone believed in me. Mm-hmm. You know, which was something um, pretty frustrating for me. Well, not frustrating. It was nice. Bit but of a wake-up call about this world that we work in. Yeah, but then everyone in Spain also started taking me seriously. Mm. Now that you dress Beyonce, you know. Yeah. Well, I was I was doing really good things before. I was in, in New York with my third collection with the CFDA, you know, presenting and being the most spectacular show that season, you know. And mm-hmm. Having Mark Cole, that was the designer for for Dior and sets and all that with Rob Simmons, and you know, we're doing this. But then all of a sudden, Beyonce. That's the thing that... that the thing creates. that really makes the buzz. Well, okay, so basically taking seriously in the industry. And then... And, but what I love about you, okay, you showed in New York. You also showed your men's amazingly in Paris. That was uh-huh. fantastic. And then... Um, but you've come back and sh- decided to show instead of Paris or New York or somewhere else or London where you went to school, uh-huh. you're showing in Spain. What is that a conscious decision on your part? Well, we've always liked to show in Spain. Like, even when we showed in Paris last season, yeah. we, we came back in here and we did another show it again, yeah. I know, but, but it wasn't really our intention. Our intention is to, to show in Paris and stick there like we did last season, you know. Mm-hmm. Every big fashion house, the, the final goal is to show in Paris. Uh, fashion Week is, is, is where, you know, fashion... You have to bring your A game. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like first league, you know. Yeah. And, and, and we got there. After that season in January, so many things have happened uh, to me and now, and, and we, we realized that we were in the, this moment where we really needed to to look at the company and, and make it work mm-hmm. uh, as it should. Because we were a group of friends, we really didn't have any ideas, so um, we started getting consultancy and and building up a team. Aida, mm-hmm. um, Joe. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that because, you know, one of the biggest dangers for a lot of younger designers like yourself who's, you know, burning bright so soon is that you basically burn out. Um, you burn out. You burn out. So what was the thinking about bringing Joe over from Manolo Blahnica? He'd been there for, I think, almost a decade. Yeah. And what made you More. decide, that, okay, now I'm going to take a step. Maybe I'm not going to show in Paris. I'm going to show in, in yeah. Madrid again. And I'm good, but I'm going to focus on, on the brand I mean, and building the company. There was a general decision, you know. We, we knew it was, it was too sudden, the show in Paris. Like, yeah. literally, I finished the collection in, um, last week, you ah, know, and then yeah. we showed it on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it would have been such a rush. But so why why did you say I need to because Joe's what general manager yeah, is that right? Yeah. So what was that like? I just think what, I want to talk about this because I think it's really important for other young designers to learn yeah, from this yeah, your I choice mean, and your thought process. I mean, um, everyone as you is like is talking to me in interviews and, and things like you need to be careful you might burn out and then we started seeing those problems like that so early with deliveries with things like that you know and and someone came like a friend came and then she gave us a structure okay you need this person you need this person you need that person you need that person we knew we needed a general manager and we didn't have it was my dad in my show uh, at the Palacio Real Teatro Real um, talking to Eugenia La Torrente and showing chief in yeah. Spain um, how we she's amazing she's, yeah. I love her how we needed it and, and and suddenly she was talking about Joe you know and I had met Joe with Manolo at the Ritz yeah. a few months before and I thought he was such an incredible man and um, suddenly she was talking about Joe that he had moved to Barcelona that you know he wanted to quit Manolo for a while and have a quiet life and blah 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 and, and I saw that this could be this was the person you know and, and we went to Barcelona have a meeting with him and we talked 
to, to you know to him about the situation, and mm-hmm. I someone's like, you know, can it be you? Do you want to be? Do you yeah. want to be with me? And then this, and like, you, as far as you let me go to Malta every now and then, and and I can work in Barcelona. And because for you, the goal is just to get a structure in place with a good a good general manager, so that you can just focus on the creative, yeah, right? Yeah. Well. I, I don't mind being aware of everything. You know, I think I think for us, um, it's good to to have a whole perspective. You know, and I didn't have it before, uh-huh. and I think it's helped me to get a whole marketing campaign, exactly. a, a story, a real exactly, and like uh, you know, approaching pieces in a different way. You know, making myself, making this, that. Yeah. You know, um, it helps you a lot, and but then I need to to create as well it's not that easy to create you know mm-hmm. the thing that I see down and then I create a collection mm-hmm. well talk about that a little bit how is your you talked about sketching and you've been mm-hmm. sketching since yeah. forever and Barbies and all of that do you are, is, what is your process is it mood boarding and pulling things is it sketching is it and, and are you really do you have a like particular time of the day or particular place that well talk to you about a little bit about your process I, I, I live in the studio so I'm, I'm obsessed from the studio and the studio is downstairs it's really it's really big house wait so you have a house where your studio is downstairs and you yeah. live upstairs okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um, so it's like so I don't have a particular time of working but I'm always working you know <laughs> yep and for me my process is first I need to find a story mm. you know and the story would, wouldn't come from a book or anything it would come from a, a particular uh, experience you know for the last season I went to uh, looking for my story that I always relate to myself I went for lunch at um, the house of Lorenzo Castillo who is like a really famous interior designer and collector and all that and then he showed me around the pieces and you know the corals the ceramics the rocks the feathers and whatever mm. I'm like you know I want to create a story about a collector that travels around the world looking for these pieces who is this boy who doesn't matter where he goes when he comes mm-hmm. why is he like that no? mm-hmm. Oh, just on a tangent here. So the the hotel show, you had glasses for everybody that my, of course, my daughter stole and wears all the time. And this show, the little gift on the ch- on the chair, the little goodie was like a, like some of your DNA. Was blood, that your blood? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> With the other ones, you know, we're talking about the cabinet of curiosities, you know, yeah. and how how you collect the most outrageous things in the world. And for this show, we thought to close the whole. Uh, the circle, story yeah. in the circle of the show, and, and then so so everyone that was in the show could start their own curiosity cabin or wonder camera. That was the what the show was about, mm-hmm. um, and also see my intention that like I put so much of myself into into yeah, the yeah, show. Yeah, blood, sweat, and tears, you literally. Know? Yeah. So uh, I was like, okay, I'm. The, we commend. We said the idea, and I thought it was going to be like chicken blood or, or whatever blood. Yeah. Like, no, it has to be yours because it's your energy and it's your whole thing, and you need to. Damn. So it's very freaky. But <laughs> yeah, but but very evocative. Yeah. I mean, it gets the message across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. So you've talked about the strategy that you brought people on board. You're getting a uh, you know a, a stronger team around you. What what are you looking towards now? I, I feel like you're continuing. I almost you, you say it's menswear, but I mean again, it's really could be women can wear you yeah. what you do, men can wear what you do. Do you would you still define yourself as menswear? Do you see yourself moving to womenswear, or do you think women will just come over to what you to what you're doing? Well, I don't. I I, I, I still feel that I'm a, a menswear because I design for men. It's, yeah. it's so much more difficult for me to design for women. Mm. Um, 
but then I'm so open and I do a lot, so many things for women as well, you know. So um, I guess I need to define myself as, as a fashion designer, and that's it. I I want to create a, a change in menswear, you know, this kind of revolution where yep. men can start. And then we, we'll get to a point where, you know, the actual man, the, the straight man, whatever, yep. or, and my clothes will get to a point where they actually, where they can walk together because men yeah. do feel more and more comfortable Absolutely uh, with, today. with clothes today, you mm-hmm. know. And they've got other brands. You've got Gucci who's like changed. Yes, absolutely. Um, ruffles and shirts as well that started changing and then we had men wearing them and all that. Um, so I think we'll get to a point where we my brand could really be menswear mm-hmm. but then I wouldn't want to forget about women either or I didn't, mm-hmm. think, or I didn't think I would be um, able to do it mm-hmm. because most of my customers are women yeah. not most of them like online I sell to men but like I do a lot of measurement like wedding dresses and like whatever blah mm-hmm. blah I do for women mm-hmm. get a lot of customers that are women mm-hmm. I sell for a lot of shops that I do it for women so well so then what do you think right now is your biggest challenge like where what is the sticking point or what is the, the next big thing that you want to accomplish where are you what are you focusing on now first I will say you we started working on a team like two two months ago the new team yeah building the team Joe. yeah so from that for me now to generate to the next show is like having that thing built and, and showing Paris with the same with the same uh, standards that we do in Madrid you mm-hmm. know yeah. do, do a grand show in Paris showing Fest League showing next to Dior Saint Laurent mm-hmm. and all the houses that yeah. inspire me and being able to give you at their level not only with the show but production qualities blah blah blah, blah yeah blah, you've so. been really exceptional so I, I, really, I really want to work on the core of, of it all you know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so excited now to to keep growing and keep you know investigating going going to more like tailoring and see what's my take on the tailoring mm-hmm. more with like working with a Less the real food. like tailored yeah. team mm-hmm. and like um, just just being more and more perfect you know because we, we've done so many beautiful things until mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. having no reference yeah. you know living in a village and yeah. my, my people that work for me they've never seen a piece from Saint Laurent you know they don't know what luxury is or, mm-hmm. or how things should, should be done no but we've we've achieved it and we're selling to whatever and then we're dressing Beyonce with clothes that we've done in, in, in Posadas mm-hmm. now really it's time to move forward and we're going to work on that okay I have one other question kind of on a tangent on that is that as it is with a lot of designers would you want to go and work for a big house considering you yeah just, definitely yeah you want to definitely. work for a big house yeah. one day do you have a dream job oh yeah I would love to to, to reopen Christian Lacroix and like oh that's brilliant because I think I think it would be a match made in heaven that or or um, or Jean Paul Gaultier. Well, I also think that I did a lot with menswear at the beginning. It's yes. got this fun that I put on my shows as well. Mm-hmm. And but then the sense of couture and mm-hmm. and so I would I wouldn't mind. I would I would love to. Really. Okay. I would love to. I, I work. You know, I think that us designers we work with a lot of reference from mm-hmm. from from the story of fashion. You know, and. and for me, being able to get into a maison and, and being able to access the archives and yeah. interpret it yourself, I mean, that's incredible. That would just be like such a playroom for you, yeah, and, you know, you be, know, a dream from your childhood, yeah. And I see what, you know, I see what a lot of people are doing in couture houses and new designers that I'm putting here and there. I'm like, how, like, it's, this is nothing. Like, how could you be doing this with the arc, such a rich archive, with with what you have, with all the possibilities, with the best ateliers in the world? And this know? is what you come up with. Yeah, and then you come up with something that's not, 
you know, I, I think I'm better than the designers that are placed in, in house there. They're, they're doing in there doing whatever unrelevant thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, but whew, you're throwing down the gauntlet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you the five uh, fashion questions. All right. So, what is your? This is going to be hard. For you, what is your favorite piece of clothing that you own? Um, a Saint Laurent jacket from um, 1969, uh, then imprinted with Woodstock, Woodstock images, all black and white, like a photo with many faces and all that. Then they did a re- retake on that print in 2007 with a Stefano Pilati, and then no, it's, it's just a. But you have the vintage ones from yeah, 68. Yeah, and then um, it was in a design museum as well in London. The whole. And where did you find it? In the place that I used to work the in, in the vintage department at, at Liberties, we had the best um, oh my God. pieces. So how about that? It's got holes in the lining. I've worn it more than one thousand times. Oh, you have to drive. send me a photo of you wearing that. I want to see well, that. You've probably seen it everywhere. Okay, yeah. I'll just Google you. And I'll yeah. find you with that jacket. Okay. Um, what for a man or a woman? What is that one piece of fashion or designer piece that they should really invest money in? I mean, if they only had enough money to buy one designer piece, what would that be? Um, I mean, if you only had the money to buy one, well, I'd probably buy a bag. Oh, really? That you can uh, kind of use forever, you know. It's, it's, I think it's a good investment. But also, if you can only have one piece, I don't know if I would buy a good shirt. Then I can have forever, I always wear shirts. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've got my Versace shirts that I use and 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 the whole thing. You're making me think I should have bought that bag of yours now. I have to go back to the pop-up store. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but who is your favorite fashion designer, living or dead? John Galliano. You have a very flamboyant style with your clothing, but... Um, is there a trend that you would never follow? One trend, fashion trend, you would never follow? Um, ugly fashion momentum, you know, gray, gray. Um, what, minimalistic? Minimalistic, um, sad uh, <laughs> <laughs> fashion. That is definitely not you. Okay, uh, last question. What do you love most about fashion? The freedom, you know, that give us the, the, the freedom to create and to take us to worlds that you don't even know that they exist, you know. The whole process of, of creating, I think. You're, well, your collections absolutely do that. Thank yeah. you so much for Thank taking the time you. to talk Thank to me. It was really much. a pleasure. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry, and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.